joining us from our Edgewood or Bel Air or here at Mountain Road Campus. We're glad you're here. Happy Easter. Yeah, I'm really glad you're here. My name's Ben, one of the pastors here, and I'm really looking forward to this series. How many of you are kind of intrigued by this disillusion thing? Does it intrigue you a little? Oh, wow. This is going to be really difficult. So I was hoping you're a little more intrigued than that, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be, I think, interesting. You know, an illusion is when you, you see something but then it turns out that what you thought you saw isn't really the case. That's kind of what an illusion is, right? You, you see, your eyes play a trick on you. I got a couple of illusions for you. Here's one on the screen. Take a look at that. Speaking of naked eye, take a look at that big eyeball. You see that thing? Okay. I can't believe how that guy can keep his eye open with all that soap right by his eyeball. What's more amazing is that if you will use your eyeball, you'll see that that actually is not an eyeball at all. That's a sink. Okay, those are bubbles going down a drain. You see that? So there you go. It's a bunch of groans. That's an example of an illusion, right? So you saw something, you thought it was something, turned out to be something different. That's an illusion. Here's another one. We, we, have, we have all these things set up on the, in the commons and at each of our campuses uh, on the walls. You've probably noticed some of them. Some of them are kind of make you almost throw up. Your eyes just start spinning. I got one like that. It's my favorite. Go ahead and show this one. Count the black dots. Isn't that freaky? Does that drive you crazy or what? That's intense, isn't it? How many black dots? Yeah, not so much. Okay, got one more. Got one more for you. Go ahead and you take a close look at this. Tell me what animal you think that is. What, what animal do you think that is? Now look more closely. Look more closely. Look right at the schnout. That is not a cat. I do not see cats. I do not see cats. But if you look at the snout, what do you see? There you go. Which is kind of maybe an example of you are what you eat. I don't know. Anyway. Okay. So you get a, a little bit of an idea of, of an illusion. How you look at something. And it, it isn't always uh, what it turns out to be. You know, back in the day, uh, I used to run around and do a lot of magic shows. Mostly for kids and things. And there were other magicians in town. And they always did like the old-fashioned magic tricks that they thought kids liked. Like, you know, bunnies out of hats. Like furry little animals. I know better. Kids do not like furry little fun animals. They don't. Um... No, so I was kind of cutting edge and avant-garde in my show, which is why I, kids love candles. That's what they love, not animals, way more than bunnies, candles. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the candle trick. Now, speaking of candles, that reminds me of birthdays. Does anybody have a birthday today? Who, did, anybody, did you raise your hand? No. I thought you did. Anybody have a birthday today? Huh? No? Okay, well, happy birthday. I got something for you. Here you go. Oh, there you go. You guys, it's a bunny. Come here. It's an Easter bunny. Her name is Esther. Esther Bunny. It's a biblical name. And what's amazing, she's kind of nervous. Just sit still. What's kind of um, cool about Esther is how well-behaved she is. She's very well-trained. 
Um, you ready? I'll demonstrate a little bit here. She's kind of shaking a little bit. I'll demonstrate here. Esther, stay. <laughs> stay. You're very well trained. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, how many of you, come on, for one second you thought it was a real rabbit. Come on. You're lying. You did too. I know you did. For at least a second, I had you. That's an illusion, isn't it? You saw something, you thought it was real, turns out to be fake. Here's the problem with illusions a lot of times. When, when you discover that something you thought was real turns out to only be an illusion, it almost always leaves you disillusioned. A kind of disenchanted uh, kind of a, oh, it's a fake bunny. Well, some of you are still mad at me. You'll get over it. Stay. Very good. You know, we get this a lot in life, don't we? Where you see something that you think is real turns out to not to be the case. And you, you see it in life. You know, if, you, if you're married, <laughs> need I say more? Okay? If you thought raising kids was going to be a cinch, <laughs> need I say more? Okay? And it turns out there's a lot of illusions when it comes to how people think about God. How people think about Christianity and the church and all kinds of matters of faith. There's things that people latch onto. They think, they get sort of convinced that's the way things really are. And sometimes they're only illusions. And sometimes we're prevented from going places in our faith and believing things that Scripture gives us because we believe in a different set of illusions. So if we're talking about magic and bunnies, you know, it doesn't really matter all that much if I fool you for a second. But when we're talking about this other stuff, who God is and the difference it makes in your life, matters of faith, well, matters a whole lot. A whole lot is at stake, isn't it? In fact, your life, your family, your well-being, your eternal destiny is at stake. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this matter of illusions, especially as it relates to our faith. And in some of these illusions that we hold on to that maybe we shouldn't, we are going to be disillusioning ourselves of them. Because when people look at Christianity today, there's a lot of different ideas that people latch on to. Isn't that the truth? You stop someone and say, well, what do you think of Christianity? Boy, you can get a really interesting discussion going, right? A lot of people today, they'll say things like, you know, Christians are mean and they're narrow and bigoted and exclusive and judgmental and intolerant and a bunch of hypocritical jerks. A lot of people believe that. Truth? Illusion? Something in between? Or people will say, you know, those Christians, they, they're way too into politics and the church is always messed up, getting his nose, sticking his nose in where it doesn't belong. Truth or illusion? Christians are, are those people who, who, who say that science and faith don't mix. They don't go together, science and faith, like oil and water don't. Truth or illusion? Christianity hates gays. Christians are anti-homosexual. Truth or illusion? These are the topics we're going to be digging into over the next few weeks to try to say, what's, where's the illusion, where's the truth? And they're really, really important. I encourage you to come back, bring someone that you think might be interested. And it's because, you know, it's, they're just really, really important in our age. There's a lot of skepticism in our age, and I think we come by it honestly. I mean, we're getting sold something, someone's calling you or pitching something to you on your TV or your phone every five seconds. So we're skeptical of everything, and we're, we're in an age where there's a rise of atheism. It's very fashionable to be atheist today, to say, I don't believe in God at all. And, and 
and agnosticism is on the rise where I just say, I don't really know. And there's just a growing disillusionment, not always with God, but with the church, especially institutional church as it's sometimes referred to. A kind of disenchantment. Greg told me that it's becoming harder for him to believe the stories of the Bible that he heard when he was in Sunday school as a kid. And he doesn't know always how to square those with his grown-up world he lives in as an engineer. And he feels this doubt rising up and he says, I feel guilty for feeling that doubt, but if it's all not even true, why would I even feel guilty? Is it all just a ruse to keep us in line? Michaela's been coming to Mountain for a while now, but she said that she used to go to church a lot, but then she was involved in a church and something kind of had a problem and she was right in the middle of it, she said, and I got hurt real bad, she said. I trusted those people and I feel like they let me down. And she walked away from that church and from God for years. And she's just now finding a way back. But she doesn't know if she trusts the church anymore. She's disillusioned. She's not alone. Among 18 to 25-year-olds in this country, half, half who grew up in the church are leaving the church. Maybe you're one of them. Or maybe you will be. Or you know someone who fits in that category. You know what the fastest growing religious group in this country is? The nuns. Those who when asked, what's your religious affiliation? Check the box that says, none, I don't have any. Nada. Yeah, that's the fastest growing religious group. And, and, and a lot of people, you know, maybe can identify not, you know, with what Gandhi was saying when, when he said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. So sometimes it's that people aren't just losing faith in God, they're losing faith in the church. And let's just be honest, we're not really talking about people out there, are we? Not really. Because I think each of us knows what it's like to be disenchanted with some aspect of Christianity, some, to have some serious questions, maybe down deep that are private or maybe out in front. But one way or the other, we know what it's like to have a question about whether something we're clinging to is an illusion or real. We have these things. So I just want to encourage you to keep it real over the next few weeks. We just finished a series on prayer. We said, you know, prayer is where we have a real conversation with a real God. Well, let's just keep it real here. And you are free to bring real doubts and discouragements. That's welcome here. And I promise you, Jesus will meet anyone, anywhere, anytime to talk about anything. And if you'll come with an open mind and ready to look at it, he'll meet you here with grace and patience. And we will too. And today... On Easter weekend, we want to dive right into this audacious claim right smack dab in the center of the Christian faith, which is that Jesus Christ died and rose again, the resurrection. I mean, really, a lot of people find that hard to swallow. If you start with a presupposition that says miracles like that don't happen, this is a big one. And guess what? No matter where you start, it's a really big one. And the scriptures are filled with these accounts that really, really want us to understand something. And that is that the basis of the Christian faith is not some religious experience that you and I have to have. The basis of the Christian faith is not some philosophical thing we've got to grasp. No. The basis of the Christian faith is not a bunch of behaviors that you've got to do this and don't do that. No. The basis of the Christian faith rests solidly on historically verifiable events. One specific event. Can I read it to you since it's Easter? Would you like to know? 
Ah, yes, for the three of you who want to know, listen, <laughs> listen, because this, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, he says, I passed on to you the most important thing. This is the most important thing you need to know. Here it is. That Christ died for our sins, exactly as the Scripture said He would. That He was buried. That He was raised from death on the third day. Again, according to the Scriptures, just as it said. And then He presented Himself alive, fully, to Peter. And then to his closest followers. And then later to more than 500 others, all at the same time, most of whom are still around, Paul says, although a few have died since then. And then he spent time with James and the rest of the apostles. And finally, he presented himself even alive to me. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important thing, Paul says. It's the centerpiece. Jesus died and rose again and it's not an illusion. Friends, think about it. It's the most important thing. If we don't believe in the resurrection, what are you living for? I mean, seriously. Baseball season? I mean, those are going to go all the way this year? I mean, is that it? I love verse 14. Listen to this. If Christ has not been raised, if this is just a bunny trick, and it's a fake, then everything we're preaching, he says, is useless, and so is your faith. I'd agree with that. If resurrection is an illusion, then Christianity, then Easter means nothing. This is just a dumb excuse to buy peeps and eat chocolate. Look at verse 14 again from the message version. I love this. If there is no resurrection, then there's no living Christ today. And face it, Paul says, if there's no resurrection for Christ, everything we've told you is smoke and mirrors. And everything you've staked your life on is smoke and mirrors. Not only that, he says, but we would all be guilty of telling a string of barefaced lies about God. All these affidavits we passed on to you verifying that God raised up Christ, those are all sheer fabrications if there's no resurrection. Verse 16, if you just start out by saying, Corpses can't be raised. And that's how a lot of people do it. They just say, you know what? Dead people don't ever come to life. And so because dead people can't come to life, Jesus didn't come to life because dead people can't come to life, so he didn't. Oh, okay. If that's what you say, Paul says, well, okay, then Christ wasn't raised because he was indeed dead. And if Christ wasn't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark, as lost as ever. You see, friends, without the resurrection, we don't have any hope at all. We're dead. And Paul says, if we, all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. But Paul says, this is not an illusion. Punchline, pay, payload verse, here it is, you ready? But the truth is that Christ has been raised up. The first in a long legacy of those who will also be raised up again. Friends, Jesus has risen. He has risen indeed. And see what that means? It's such good news. If Jesus really has risen, then it means He really is God. If Jesus really has risen, it means that when He says, I'm going to forgive sins, He really can do that. When He says, I will be with you always and never abandon you, you'll never be alone, He can really do that. When He says, I really am coming to inaugurate a new kingdom to fix this old broken world, He can really do it. 
If he really is alive again, then it's true that he walked down life and he got to the end of life and there was death's door and like a boss he just kicked it down and walked on through and came out the other side. It changes everything for you and for me. It's the most important thing. Now, we can't go back with CSI and scratch around and get fingernails and all this stuff and test all this. We can't do it 2,000 years afterward. But listen, there's a lot of dudes out there who say, you know, well, I don't know, it seems like a long time ago. I don't think I believe it. I don't think you can prove it. Well, you know what? You at least got to look at the evidence. And you got to be willing to see what holds up to scrutiny. And he's right, you can't prove certain things from the past. But there's some very compelling evidence out there. We don't have time to go through it all. I'm not going to try to do that. But before you write something off, you've got you've to deal with evidence that can't be easily dismissed. Because Christianity has grown to over 2 billion people and it started with a handful of folks who were so utterly convicted that he was alive because they had seen him. And the movement spread like wildfire, running like the wind on two legs. The first leg was the empty tomb. There was a tomb that was empty. And the other leg was these appearances that Jesus kept making. After he died, the tomb was empty. And no one had a great explanation for that. And the other was that he kept appearing. He kept showing up, talking to people, visiting, unannounced. And there's lots of attempted explanations for these things. Most of them are very unconvincing. You know, the tomb was empty because somebody stole the body. Okay, well, where did they put it? Where, why wouldn't they show it? You know, or, or, you know, they went to the wrong tomb, got the wrong address. Or everyone had a group hallucination. They kind of accidentally thought simultaneously that they saw Jesus, whatever. Or, you know, they sort of wanted to see Jesus so badly that they sort of, in their heart, they saw Jesus, but it wasn't really a bodily resurrection. There's all these explanations, and I find them so unconvincing. I don't feel like they stand up to scrutiny. You need to look at them for yourself. But I tell you, there's one explanation that fits the evidence like a glove. If I'm, if I'm in my house and I take my remote control and I turn on my TV and it turns on, at that very moment, now there's a couple of possible explanations. What might have happened is my neighbor might have had a remote programmed to the same frequency. And at the very same moment that I clicked, he clicked, and his remote turned my TV on. That's possible, isn't it? Or it's possible there was a glitch in the wiring on my TV and it just sort of happened to sort of react and at the very moment, coincidentally, when I hit push, you know, it, it turned on. Or there was a satellite flying overhead that had bounced some infrared into the garbage can out the window and into my house and it clicked on my tail. Those are all possible. But the one that's most plausible and probable is that my remote control turned that thing on. And when you look at the evidence, the simplest explanation even though it's hard for some of us to swallow, is that it's actually true that Jesus rose from the dead, exactly according to the testimony that we have. Consider the evidence. I mean, one of the the important things to note is that nobody in the ancient world was thinking about bodily resurrection before Jesus died. Okay? No, they haven't even invented resurrection yet. I mean, seriously, nobody was talking about resurrection. Nobody expected it. No one had that concept in the world in those days. I mean, the Jews, they were talking about going to Sheol, some dark place, or, or sometime time of Jesus, go to Gehenna, you know, out to the pit. You know, but it was the end. It was a place that you went and you didn't come back. It was no resurrection. Plato said, well, your spirit kind of floats away, and you, but you're still pretty much done. The Roman theology said, yeah, you just get this ferryman and he kind of puts you in a boat and takes you down there. It's 
a one-way trip. You never come back. You know, and, and, or, or the Greeks, Epicurus, said non-fui-fui, non-sura, non-curo, which was plastered all over the walls of, of ancient civilizations in Latin, which means I was not, then I was. Now I'm not, and I don't care. Real pick-me-up. It's still used in humanist funerals today. Epicurus just said, hey, you know, life's going to end quick, and so you might as well get what you can while you're at it. So nobody was talking about a resurrection. Even Jesus had said, you know, there's going to be a resurrection. I'm going to die and rise again. But they didn't get it because it was such a new concept. And yet, he died, and then the tomb was empty, and then the angels from heaven were saying, he's not here, he's risen. And then there was Jesus himself, and they saw him, and they held him, and they touched him, and they listened to him, and they held him, and they ate with him. And they were so convicted to the core that the plan was still in place and that it was Jesus that they said, I know that I know that I know that I know. Kill me if you want to, but I know that I know that he lives. And they would have given anything to shut that young upstart movement of fishermen and all his friends. They would have just shut them up if they could have. They threatened them and they were throwing them to the wild animals and cutting them in two and burning them at the stake. And they said, kill me if you want to because I'm with Jesus and he conquered death. And if he did it for himself, I know I live forever and it's no illusion. So this is our faith. It rests on this. And you can have that same confidence. You can have that same, the same way they did. And that is through an encounter with the living, risen Lord Jesus Christ, who turns out is alive and back in the world, who invites us to interact and decide what you believe. What do you believe? Check out this clip from Bono, the lead singer of rock group U2. See what he believes. Then what or who was Jesus as far as you're concerned? I think it's, the, it's a defining question for a Christian is who was Christ and and I don't think you're let off easily by saying a great thinker or a great philosopher or a, a, you know because actually he went round saying he was the Messiah that's why he was crucified he was crucified because he said he was the Son of God so he either in my view was the Son of God or he was not no, no, nuts. Nuts. Yes. Forget yes. rock and roll messianic complexes. This is like, I mean, Charlie Manson type delirium. And I find it hard to accept that all the millions and millions of lives, half the earth for 2,000 years, have been touched, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I just, I don't believe it. I, I so therefore it follows that you believe he was divine. Yes. And therefore it follows that you believe that he rose physically from the dead. Yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've no problem with miracles. <laughs> I'm living around them. I am one. So, so when you pray then, you pray to Jesus. Yes. The risen Jesus. Yes. And you believe that he made promises which will come true. Yes. I do. So, yeah. Some of you are like, I can't believe I'm clapping for a rock star in church. <laughs> so, each of us is invited to decide what you believe. See, I love that line. I don't have any problem in miracles. I am one. Because of his encounter with Christ. 
See, Jesus so longed to help reestablish a relationship between the Father and you that he went to the cross. But he didn't just go to the cross. He came out of the tomb and pursues you and me as the living Jesus can do. And when you have an encounter and a relationship and an ongoing dialogue in your life through faith with the living Christ, it changes everything. And when you are disillusioned, you see, Jesus becomes the answer to our disillusionment. When you're discouraged, when you're defeated, when you're deflated, when you're disgusted, Jesus changes everything. When you feel like a failure, when you, when you feel like you got a bum rap, Jesus changes everything. I want to tell you about some friends who had such an encounter who were extremely discouraged. And it might help some of us because I think all of us become discouraged at one time or another. They had hung out with Jesus, loved Jesus, had pinned their hopes on Jesus. And so they were very excited about things and they wanted it to be true. But then when they saw him die, they became instantly deflated because it all appeared to only be an illusion. And so they walked away. Maybe you can relate to that. You've become discouraged maybe. Maybe there's a slow fade of your faith in life. Or you've become discouraged about some other things. Or you, fi you find doubt rising up in you at unwelcome moments. These guys decide they're going to get out of town. They watch Jesus die on Friday. It is now Sunday afternoon and they say, we're walking. And they begin a journey seven miles from Jerusalem to a little town up the road called Emmaus. In the Bible, it's in Emmaus, uh, Luke chapter 24. And they're walking along there talking about things. Verse 14 says they're talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside them. But they were kept from recognizing him. An interesting scenario where Jesus is incognito either because Jesus, God just prevented them from seeing or they were so distraught or maybe his transformed body was not recognizable. We don't know, but for whatever reason, they can't recognize Jesus. Verse 17, Jesus comes along and he says, well, what are you talking about? Which is kind of a fancy translation. What Jesus said there is, uh, what's up? And their response is very telling and reveals how much they're struggling with things. They say in verse 17, they stop walking. They stood still and their faces are downcast. They're hanging their heads because you see in their minds Jesus is still dead. And it just brought all that up again. They're so disillusioned because they believe the illusion that they saw planted in their head on Friday. They're stuck on Friday. No hope. And so they're so downcast, they're downright rude to this stranger. They say in verse 18, one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only guy visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in the last few days? I mean, what's your problem, dude? You're, where have you been, in a cave? Of course, Jesus to that could have said, well, actually, yes. <laughs> Incredibly impolite for ancient Near Eastern custom for them to be speaking this. This isn't New York City. This is, you know, outside Jerusalem. They're so discouraged, so deflated and disillusioned. Verse 19, Jesus tries again to tease it out of them. What things? Tell me, he says. And you're going to see these guys, I imagine them rolling their eyes, and then I wonder if a tear comes out of their eyes as they just spit it out about Jesus. 
our friend. He was a prophet from God. He was powerful in what he said and what he did. He was awesome before God and before all of us. And then the chief priests and our rulers, they handed him over to be sentenced to death. Just like that. And we watched him die. They crucified him. And then this line, so poignant, one of the most powerful in all of Scripture. They say, but you know, we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to help us. We had hoped. We had hoped that he was the Savior. Past tense. Hope got squished when the stone rolled in front of the tomb. No longer did they have hope. We used to believe. We used to have joy when we were around Jesus. We used to have a sense of peace and purpose. But all that apparently was an illusion. Can you feel the weight of their disappointment? We had hoped. We, we had hoped. Mm. Jesus, you know, he loved everybody and we had hoped that he would still be around to love us and never let us go. Jesus forgave people right and left and we had hoped that he would still forgive us. Jesus talked about living forever and being with the Father and we had hoped that he would go there and take us with him when it was our time. Jesus was fearless, man. And we had hoped He would be around to give us courage when we needed it. He healed people and we had hoped He would heal us. I need healing. Where is Jesus? And when they arrested Him, we had hoped that they would let Him go and it didn't work out that way. And everything unraveled like a huge nightmare from there. Before Pilate, we had hoped they would call for Barabbas. They didn't. We had hoped he would defend himself. He didn't. We had hoped that we would stay right with him to the bitter end. Well, we didn't. We ran like schoolgirls. We had hoped it wouldn't get ugly, but they whipped him senseless and put a crown of thorns on his head and they shoved him up a hill, slapped him and spit on him and he struggled under the weight of it. And then they nailed his feet and his hands and they pinned him to the wood and they stuck him up there in the hot sun. We had hoped he was the savior of the world. And I believe as those two guys recounted that, they just knew. As they watched the last little bit of life slip out of Jesus' writhing, whimpering body, I believe the last little bit of hope slipped out of them. When Jesus died, so did hope. And maybe Jesus spoke for them, and probably all of us, when he cried out with some of his last breaths, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Maybe you've not had the courage, but if you did, you would have said some words like that at some time. Or maybe you've shouted it. God, where are you? Where were you? Is this a bunny trick? Can you feel the weight of their discouragement? Can you feel the pressure and the oppression of Friday? The world they're still living in? As they look up at the cross, this one whose lungs had exhaled forgiveness and peace be with you and blessing on everyone now were collapsed. 
This one whose eyes looked at the crowds with compassion now were shut. The lips that had spoken words of truth and life and beauty and grace and invitation now were fixed silent. This one whose arms had embraced the unworthy and the unlovely now were limp. The one whose hands had touched and healed now had spikes through them. These ones, this, these feet that had <laughs> walked on water and gone wherever the Father sent him now were motionless. They looked up there and the voice that spoke truth in calm seas was still. The heart that was so full of love wasn't beating anymore because the light of the world was hanging here in the shadow of death. The bread of life broken. The way, the truth, and the life a crucified corpse. Do you see why it matters so much whether Jesus is alive or not? Do you feel that? Everything hinges on it. If He's dead, so are we. In our sins, sealed up on a Friday world, we had hoped. How about you? How do you finish that sentence these days? We had hoped. Where is it Friday for you? We had hoped our marriage would be better. We had hoped the family would have turned out differently. I had hoped for a soulmate. I had hoped for a baby. I had hoped the job would come. I had hoped for money. What is it for you? Where your disillusionment rises up and it comes out saying, I had hoped life would be different. But instead, it's Friday. You know, the next few verses are so fascinating. <laughs> These guys are still talking to this one they don't know as Jesus. They say in verse 21 and following, Oh yeah, that was three days ago. You know, that was Friday he died and yeah, and a bunch of the women, our wives and some others, they, they came and told us that the tomb was empty and that a bunch of people saw him alive, you know, but we don't believe that. Yeah, we know that's not true. They're so fixed on the illusion. They're, they're so fixed on their disillusionment that they will hear nothing of good news. And if you feel like maybe you're stuck in Friday and you're disillusioned like that, and maybe you've got someone in your friendship or family circle who keeps coming and talking to you about this God thing and this religious thing, and you're like so fixed on it, you know that's not it. That's not the answer. You know, I'm just saying, maybe you ought to consider listening. Maybe they have something you need and want. If it's true, wouldn't you want it? If it's not true, it'll go away. Don't worry about it. Maybe you should listen. If you've got someone coming to tell you, Jesus finally has to get in their face to get their attention. It's kind of abrupt and I actually like, I like this. I like it. He says in verse 25, Jesus said to them, You are so thick-headed and slow to trust. Why can't you simply believe everything we've been talking about and the prophets said? In other words, he's talking to me now. He's talking to you. He's talking to all of us. You thick-headed, slow to trust people just like me, aren't you? Friends, in our thick-headedness, sometimes we're going to find ourselves stuck in a Friday situation where you're really discouraged and disillusioned and you don't quite see your way out. Do you ever get stuck? Here's what you can know for sure. Jesus is walking right there with you. Whatever road you're on, it may not be a seven-mile stretch, 
But Jesus is right there with you. Even if your eyes are prevented from seeing Him and you're not even aware of His presence, He's there. He's alive and He's there to remind you that His resurrection is not an illusion and He's, he's real and He's there. And no matter what it looks like in your world on a Friday, it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. You see, in verse 28, it says as they approached the village where they were going, Emmaus, Jesus acted like He was just going to keep on motoring. And it says, they urged him strongly, no, stay with us, stay, for it's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. And I think there's something so important for all of us to learn here. Because, you know, all of us are looking essentially for the same thing. We're looking for hope in life. We're looking for a sense of peace and serenity. We're looking for purpose. We're looking for adventure. We're looking for the life that is the good, best life. We're looking for forgiveness. We're looking for redemption. We're looking for life beyond the grave. And guess what? It's all found in Jesus. Jesus has everything we're looking for. But here's the deal. He's not going to force himself on you. Jesus acts like he's going to keep going. And I believe he would have. He, Jesus never pushes his way in. And neither will we at Mountain. Neither will I. We're never going to shove something down anyone's throat. You can say yes. You can say no. You can come. You can go. And I tell you what. Jesus waits, though, to be invited. And you know what they say? They say, wait, don't go. Don't go. Come. Come in. Stay with me. And I'm confident, friend, that those are the words Jesus is longing to hear from you this Easter. Whatever you find yourself on right now in, by way of your journey, He's hoping that you will stop and say, Come, stay. In fact, Jesus Himself said in, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, I stand at the door and knock. And if you feel something and sense something and know something, it's probably that sense that Jesus is in fact right now knocking, waiting for you to open. The door only opens from within on your side. If you open the door, he says, I will come in. I'll sit down and eat. And see, when those guys did that, when they invited him in, the text goes on to say in verse 30 that that's when their eyes were opened. And they recognized Jesus as they broke bread together. Can you imagine that moment? When they're like, it's Jesus? <laughs> that just blows me away. The past, totally rewritten now. The future, completely open-ended now. Everything is different because Jesus is alive again. And it begins when you invite Him in and their hearts burned within them, and I hope it is burning within you. It's not an illusion, my friend. Jesus is alive, and wherever you find yourself on your journey of life, He longs to hear you say, Come in. And when you say that, He will, and it will change everything. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much for sending your Son, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for knocking, Jesus. Thank you for walking with us. 
Help us to see you with the eyes of faith and to invite you into our lives. We pray in the name of the living Jesus. Amen.